What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Whitetail Edge Podcast, a podcast designed to make you a better whitetail hunter. Now, your host, Ben Rising, and myself, Dylan Gandy. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Whitetail Edge Podcast. Uh, got a pretty special guest for you guys that are watching. You guys can already see, but for the ones listening, we're going to keep it at attention here. I'm here with Ben. And uh, on the other line, we're joined by Mr. Lee Ellis, Seek One. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. A little, little under the weather, but feeling good. Yeah, what's up Appreciate with you? you guys. I don't know, man. Uh, I've got like, well, <laughs> you don't want me to go into details on what's <laughs> happening on my head. <laughs> uh, I think it's just like a summer cold or something. So okay. no big deal. Well, I just got diagnosed with Lyme's disease, so. I was no. down for the count for like two weeks, man. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was so sick. I was fevering, um, getting chills, getting weak. I mean, just horrible feeling. Never felt like that. I'd go, I'd be good for two days and then bam, it hit me again. And, is that something that you can like come out of, or is that something you kind of well for a while? It depends on when you catch it. So I don't know that I I shouldn't say, I mean, I tested positive for limes. So should I say that I actually have the Lyme's disease at this point? I don't know because they think they caught it in time and they put me on some super strong antibiotics and I just finished that up and I feel amazing now. I feel like back to normal pretty much. Um, what was crazy about it was my wife had checked me because, you know, I work in the woods all my, you know, because I'm timber buyer and stuff like that and with logging and that. And so um, always looking for ticks and she checked me for you know, the bullseyes or anything. And I hadn't remembered picking any off of me just recently, but she checked me. And then finally I just said, man, I've got to go to the doctor. So we went to the doctor like two days later and he's like, well, let's, we told him what I thought it was. I said, I think it's tick. I think it's limes. And he's like, okay. He said, it does sound like it could be. He goes, but you know, we'll try to eliminate the process. He goes, well, let's, uh, let's check your body first for rashes. He goes, take your shirt off. And I took my shirt off and I turned around. He's like, well, there it is. And instantly there was two bullseyes on my back that had just showed up overnight. One on my side and one on like around my back. And then I found one two days later on my leg, a bullseye. And he said, it doesn't always necessarily mean that's where you get bit. They can show up anywhere. Like it could have bit me in the head and the bullseye might show up down there. Um, yeah, I didn't really like, I mean, just kind of being knuckleheaded at times. Like I never really took ticks that serious and then like just talking to enough people that have been like oh yeah i've had limes or the what's the one where you can't eat red meat yeah my buddy tim woods has it right now yeah the lone star tick. Alpha yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and like that's it just has become clear like that's not something to play around with at all oh, so yeah. like we've been using the permethrin and all that stuff like as much as we can but yeah it'll um, ruin your life if you don't get it in time but i was i thank god that i got it in time and you know because i do think like we got it you know, like instantly after I started those antibiotics, the rash went away within like two and a half days. I started feeling amazing instantly. And I just, he said, and the doctor told me, he goes, sometimes those bullseyes don't show up for like four to six weeks after you get bit. He goes, sometimes it's instant and sometimes it may not be. And he goes, in your case, it probably wasn't instant, you know, yeah. but they did, the, they did draw the blood and I actually tested positive for it. So, um, 
you know, I guess at least now we know if I start having more issues down the road, they can at least look at that. Yeah. I think part of the reason we never like took it that serious is for whatever reason around Atlanta, we don't really see ticks like really. I mean, there are, they are here, but it's not, it's not like a big issue, but it's like when we started going to Tennessee uh, and then we went on a, a scouting trip in Oklahoma one time. And like, I've never experienced ticks like that in my life. Uh, it just was like, you know, something you clearly got to yeah. be aware of when you're going to these other places that are full of them. I was sitting in Kentucky one time years ago, turkey hunting, uh, sitting against a tree. And I was just kind of was working this bird and it was just kind of quiet. And I was just really enjoying it, you know, and he was. He kind of, he wasn't hot. It was late in the afternoon and he wasn't like super hot, but he was coming, but it was slow. And I'm just sitting there kind of enjoying the experience, calling every once in a while. I started looking at the ground and the ground was literally moving ugh, from so many ticks. Mm. I started looking at my legs and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I don't know if I sat in a nest of them or what, but I mean, they were like all over me, dude. And that t- I- that turkey, next time he gobbled, he was like 50 yards. <laughs> And he was behind some stuff, and them ticks are just coming up me, and I'm just like, I don't know if I can take it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I finally I waited it out and I killed him, but oh man, it was gross. Dang. I had to strip naked one in my truck one time because uh, this was this was like there was only one bad spot in Atlanta that I've had tick issues, and it was it was the seed ticks. Mm. Uh, summertime, I went in and I must have hit the freaking mother load of these suckers. And it's the first time I've ever dealt with seed ticks. I get back in my car, I'm like itching like crazy. And I'm like noticing them all over my skin. And then I'm like noticing they're on my shirt. And so I, dude, I was, I literally stripped. Yeah. Thing I had on me and was, was like hucking it, trying to huck it in the bed of my truck as I'm sitting there like parked. And it was like, I mean, yeah, I was sitting there. Yeah. With the Ellis found new. Yeah, Lee Ellis from Dude in Atlanta suburbs. Officer, I can explain. Yeah. Yeah, my my boys, we went to Illinois on a trip, scouting trip one time, and they were messing around a pond, and they were just little guys then, and they got into a whole mess of seed ticks. Mm. Zach, Jared, Blaine, every one of them. And poor Zach, he's like 12, 13 years old at the time, and his mommy had to pick his pecker apart getting (laughs) – you know, getting seed ticks off of him, you know, that was pretty sad. <laughs> Poor guy. But I mean, they got covered in them. Like literally it was sad. Like we were taking duct tape trying to, Oh, it was like, they're horrible. Let's get on a different subject. <laughs> yeah, <moving on. laughs> so anyways, uh, you know, in this hunting industry, this is full of a lot of different guys. And I mean, like, there's no doubt Lee, you know, it's like, um, I always say results are, you know, the proof is in the results of a guy and what they're doing. And I mean, there's no doubt that you're definitely making a splash in this industry. You know, and I've been in this in a long time, filming for a long time. Um, and it's pretty cool, you know, cause like from my standpoint, I've always been more of rural guy, you know, I mean, it's just where I've grown up my whole life and I never wanted to be around the city. And there's no doubt that as you start advancing in your hunting and stuff you start realizing man there's some big deer around the suburbs you know they start knowing that that's they're kind of more safe there or they just get the age there and they become big and so like but i've just never adapted to that style and you know you guys break into the scene and really start bringing it to light to people of like what really is there you know adam hayes was a guy that hunted a lot of suburbs too though but he just never brought it to light kind of like you're doing and uh 
but there's in its own way, it's got its own challenges and its own, these deer aren't just like, I think some people just think that because you're hunting suburbs that deer are dumb. And I don't believe it's that way because I know what big whitetails are like, no matter where they live, you know, but I was just going to say, you know, I got a lot of respect for the kind of animals you guys are putting on the dirt. And I know no matter where you're hunting, the amount of work you have to be putting in to find these places to hunt and to kill those animals and to travel as many places you're doing. I mean, kudos to you because it takes a lot of work and I don't think guys understand that, you know, so many people want to knock your success, but they'll never get that success because they'll never work as hard as what you're doing. They just don't have it in them, you know, and that's kind of how it was for me, you know, and some of the deer I've killed over the years and traveling around a little different scenario, more rural areas, but man, it takes so much work and effort and time. And I just don't think people get that, you know, a lot do, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And uh, I, I think that like, no matter what we do at this point, like we're still going to get, you know, the kind of the BS comments of like, Oh, you know, that was easy. This thing, this, that, and the other, but here's, here's the big thing is like, if this was easy, I wouldn't care about this at all. Like I don't do this because of the fame, the money, or like, I don't do it for any of those reasons. Like I do it because I love it. I love the challenge and the rewarding feeling of when all of that work comes together and it pays off in this big moment, like that to me is, what drives me to do it is like the next story, the next challenge, trying to find that next animal. And like, if it were easy, I promise you, I would literally not care a thing about doing this. Yeah. That's, and that's funny because so many of the guys like you and I are, we're all geared that way. It's the challenge. Literally. It's like, for me, it became the obsession with the biggest deer I could find. And was it healthy sometimes? Not necessarily. But not, I became noted for picking not. one deer out and hunting that deer, you know, and I've since gotten a little farther away from that. As you age, you know, I'm almost 50 now, so things are different. How old are you, Lee? I'm 33. Okay, yeah, see, so huge difference here in age. And so, like, looking back to when I was your age or Dylan's age and stuff, like, man, I can just remember the fire I had. Like, there was no stopping me if – I could find a deer. I was going to find a way to hunt it, whatever. Like I was running the roads. Like I get a kick because Dylan's already sending me velvet videos at night. He's out running around. And I love that because I'm kind of living vicariously through him. Cause like I used to do that, you know, yeah. and now I'm kind of more like that old bull that stands on top of the hill. And then I kind of wait and then I, I move in, you know, but um, I just love watching you young guys with all this pizzazz because it's, it just reminds me of what it was like. And I, I used to think like when I was younger, I'd look at my dad and be like, why don't he want to hunt like he used to anymore? But it just happens. It's not that you don't want to hunt, just things in your life change and you view and you value things differently and goals change. And I'll never stop hunting whitetails. It's not that. I mean, I, I am as passionate about big deer as I ever been. I just approach it a little different now and, you know, but I got to yeah. admit when I do see stuff like you guys do, it does give me some fire again. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And I would say like, I'm kind of to that place as well. Like I've tried to, one of the, one of the big things that I really wanted to like show last year was it's not the size of the rack that makes the experience. And some of the best hunts that I've ever had in my life happened last year. And they were on deer that were not my biggest. I killed a, 
a deer in North Dakota this year that was like maybe 120 inches, probably not even 120 inches. And it's one of the most meaningful deer that I've ever hunted in my life, just because of the whole story and everything that led up to it. Like that was like what what's was important is that it's the story. It's not the size of the the rack. And I've kind of gotten to that place where it's more about the journey, the experience, like who the friends you share it with, because I've, I've been in that place and I'm sort of still there in ways where it's like, you know, several years ago I was bulldogging and I, and I still am, but bulldogging to where it was like, I didn't care if the hunting experience wasn't great. Like I'm, I'm trying to outsmart this deer in any way, shape, I, any, any way that I can. And if that means that like, I'm not sharing this with friends and I'm just like, you know, not even talking to family. Cause I'm so like zoned in and dialed in on this thing. It makes the experience and you put so much pressure on yourself. It's almost not even fun. Like mm. you have really have to kind of check yourself to be like, Hey, this isn't so- something that's supposed to like, you know, make you lose hours and hours of sleep <clears throat> and stress you out. Like, it's meant to be fun. Mm-hmm. Like I've tried to kind of ride that line of like not letting it get too obsessive and too crazy where it's like, you're like psychologically like not healthy mm-hmm. no. and try to find a better balance of like, this is meant to be fun. You're meant to, you know, enjoy these moments with friends and like the experience of it all. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in that place, but I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I'm still bulldogging you know yeah well if you ever figure it out let me know i tell everybody i was like look it's kind of like this if i put as much emphasis on reading my bible and loving jesus like i should like i do deer hunting i would glow (laughs) you know what i mean like seriously we'd we'd have wings be floating around everywhere yeah that's right you know we'd (laughs) be having halos but um it's just because you know and and that's as i've gotten older too i've kind of tried to put that in perspective a little bit but you know, I think God uses people though too, Lee, that like are believers and like if we have platforms and you're not afraid to talk about it or you know, I I'd I believe that that can be used in a sense for good, you know. And uh just like Jeff Danker does, you know, he's he's very out forward about it and I think he uses his platform well for it. And I know you've talked a little bit about it. I know you're a Christian, you know, and you're not afraid to admit that, you know. Isn't that in the name, seek one? Yeah. So yeah, seek one is like, is a double meaning, the story of seeking one deer, uh, but seeking one God. And yeah, I mean, like, dude, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you both right now, like if it weren't for us putting all of this in God's hands, like God's hands have been on this from day one to, to today. And a lot of times we feel extremely undeserving of it, but I sit you know, I'm sitting in this room and I'm looking around at these deer and it's like every one of these has like crazy memories and stories behind it. And I'm like, man, every one of these could have gone so different. Yeah. And I could have easily just as easily been sitting in a room with nothing. Uh, and it's just like things that happened and fell into place. Like I look back on it all and I'm just like, man, like God's hand is is extremely evident in all of this. And so I I do agree with you. Like I I think that he trusts uh certain people with certain things like he knows our hearts and i i really believe that you know he's had his hands on this and he knew that we would 
try to share a good message with people and try to, you know, impact people in a positive way. And I, I think that that's like the reason that this stuff just kind of happened for us. And I'll tell you, like, that is the most amazing feedback that we get is someone saying, Hey, like you got me praying again. You got me like in the woods thinking about my faith again. Like you've reconnected me, uh, spiritually. That stuff means way more to us than the, Hey man, like that was a huge, huge ass deer, you know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, you know we're, what you mean. Like, when you're positively impacting people and, and seeing that, like that's, that is the, the sense of purpose and like calling behind all of it. So, yeah. And then I feel like, and I've always said this, it's like, you know, when it's your time, there's nothing you can do to screw it up. When God is like ready to let that animal be harvested, I mean, I've done things like I've dropped binoculars out of the tree when the deer's at 35 yards. I've like, you know, knocked him off my seat, forgot I sent it there, turned and hit him off the seat, saw him coming in and knocked him off like, oh, man, you know, and then I still end up killing the deer. Just weird things like that. And I'm just like, sometimes you can work so hard. Some of the biggest deer I've ever hunted, I've never killed. Like I was not meant to kill that deer because I put myself in the position three times in one season on on a deer that I couldn't even get close to like he just didn't live on a property I could hunt but I hunted him so hard three times in one year and I called I nicknamed the deer misery that's what I called him misery because he put me through misery I hunted I never hunted a deer as hard in my life and I just was not meant to kill that deer I had him within 50 yards three times had him within 40 yards the first time I sat and he was coming right to me down the hill the first time I hunted him went in on him had a scrape set up he was coming right to it at three o'clock in the afternoon and a stinking doe was bedded in between me and him and that scrape. And I didn't know it. I'd climbed on my tree so quietly. She was laying behind a treetop. And as he was coming down the hill, she bumped up and scared him, scared me. And he went, he swung out. I still could have got a shot, but it was too thick and I couldn't shoot. And the rest of the night, he just stood out there with her till dark for like an hour, just hanging over, just bellering. And every time he'd do that, big bucks would come running. It's the craziest thing I ever saw. But and then the next morning I tried to go in on him and I bumped him off that hill. He was with her still. And uh he jumped the guard. I heard him run down the hill, cross the county road, and I heard him tick his feet off the guardrail, jumping the hill, just dink. Jeez. And that night he got wounded. And a guy over there on that side of the road ended up shooting him, but didn't kill him, shouldered him. And I got back on that deer again. And um, just long story short, I had him again two two times within 50 yards, could never get a shot. But he yeah. was an awesome deer. Somebody ended up getting him the next year. But the sheds that they had found of him that year, he was 215. Just a big old hill buck, you know, awesome deer. But, you know, it's stories like that that are awesome. And, you know, but uh, I just, I guess what I was saying is it's like, but when it's meant to be, nothing you can do can screw it up. If God is like, okay, I'm, you know, it's yours. You know, I just feel that way. Yeah, I, we've we've had those moments, too, where it's like this was meant to be. And yeah. then we've had where, hey, this just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. But I, th I think like, you know, we we try to we try to do it in a way like share our faith in a way where it's not like in your face, like 100 mm -hmm. percent on anyone. And like, I'll be the first to tell you, too, like, I'm a messed up dude. Like, we're all people. We've all yeah. got, yeah. you know. Like we're all sinners. We're all got like, skeletons. I'm no, I, I'm no better than anybody out there. And I mean, I just was talking about 
God in the same sentence and said huge ass deer. So like, you know, yeah. technically cuss in the same sentence talking about God. Like I'm, I'm a human, like I'm, I'm a person, like we do the best that we can, but just because we like share our faith does not mean that like we are any better than anybody else out there. And like, yeah. we get feedback from that from time to time of people that are just like, Oh, you really think God like put that deer in front of you? Like he really cares about you killing a deer when there's starving children and you yeah. know, wherever. It's hard to explain that to people that don't understand like that. And and that can go, we can get way off in the weeds on that, but yeah, I, you know, yeah, it's I mean, all about digging in your Bible and understanding, but it's just, it's funny you say that. Cause like I was, I saw this little thing on jelly roll the other day and like his story or whatever. And, and, and he's like in the same sentence, he goes, God is so effing awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean. You know, but I mean, he's like giving a hundred percent credit to God of like how his life has turned around and got him out of the, and his story is incredible. Like, I don't yeah. know if people really understand, but man, his story is really something to watch. And like, I, I didn't know much about jelly roll, but um, that son of a sinner song is pretty captivating, you know? Um, yeah. but we got to see him at the NWTF event this year, sing that song at the Grand Ole Opry for National Wild Turkey thing. And it was, it was crazy. Like he's really good. I think God just looks for those little windows of opportunity for us to glorify his name and spread his kingdom. And it may, it may be like so subtle to some people, but it's just those little things. Like I just, when I found out we were going to do this podcast, Lee, I, uh, I finally watched your Ohio hunt. I meant to do that forever ago, but it was awesome. But I, what you said after you killed that deer and that you were going through some things and stuff like that, like, even though it wasn't like you guys need to go follow Jesus right now or anything like that, like it was just what a lot of people might think is subtle, man, there could be someone that's really hurting in that moment or something or that are experiencing the exact same thing. And, you know, dude, that could lead them to go open up their Bible that evening, right after they watch your hunt or it, it'll definitely get their get them thinking. And I think God uses just these little opportunities or windows for us to, to spread his kingdom. And I found that there's a lot of people in the hunting industry too, that really do have, they may not be diehard. And I'm not saying like, again, we're not better than anybody. And I'm not, I don't, you know, it's not like I even go to church every Sunday sometimes, or that I'm always reading my Bible like I should, but I think it's just having that awareness that God is there and that he's, you know, he's supposed to be the controller of our lives. But I think a lot of people in this that hunt, and are connected to nature like bow hunters are, deer hunters are in general, they have that sense of there's a higher power, there's a creator. Like they understand this just didn't happen, you know? Yeah. And so, but it's, uh, it's hard to sit there and, and see a sunrise and, you know, see the woods and everything, just like life just happening. And it's yeah, like the beauty of it all. It's, it's hard to not basically sort of like know that there's a designer out there. And that, yeah. that Ohio deal was, was crazy. Cause like, dude, I swear I'll, I'll rewatch that video all the time. And those were not my words, dude. It's not like I had this speech planned out or anything like that. Like that was just from the heart just came out. And it was just because of all the stuff that I had going on at the time in the background. And I, I remember a comment I got, some guy was like, uh, oh, like you hunt for a living. How bad can life be? And I'm like, dude, we are not exempt yeah. because like we're super blessed. We get to live in this industry and do this, but like we are not exempt from tragedies at home, trials yeah. behind the scenes and stuff. And I'm like, just because I get to hunt for a living does not mean that I don't have absolute turmoil at home with, you yeah. know, whatever. And so uh, I think I just like to 
you know, remind people at times like we're all people, man. Yeah. Like, this could have easily just as happened to that guy as it did to us. Like we're all, we're all people here, but. And you know, too, the like, and I'm a firm believer in this and my, my grandma always said this. And I think the Bible even somewhat talks about it. Like the more you become an advocate for Christ, the harder Satan's going to come after you and turn blockades at you. And, you know, he's going to try to trip you up because he doesn't want you advancing the kingdom of God. Yeah. Just simple as that, you know, but we can, we'll move on. Cause that, you know, it's, yeah, great stuff. it's, it's awesome. But, uh, cause I could talk about that stuff all day, but know, you know, our know, listeners, yeah. you know, they're kind of wanting to, they want to pick your brain. They want to know how Lee Ellis <laughs> is doing what he's doing. And um, so, you know, and I do too. I mean, I think it's really cool. And, you know, again, like, obviously I think we're a lot of people struggle. And I say this about Dylan, like Dylan is not afraid to hear the word. No. You know, and like Dylan will knock, he will literally beat his head against the wall, knocking on doors until he finds places, you know, and I'm thinking he's out there looking for timber and he's sending me all these things. He's like, yeah, I got just permission to hunt here, permission to hunt here, permission to hunt here. And I'm like, man, I wish you could find timber as much as you find hunting properties, you know, <laughs> but uh, that's, yeah, that's after hours. Yeah. Uh, at 10 <laughs> o'clock in the morning when you're sending me, <laughs> but anyways, so it's, it's pretty cool though, but I think that's what it takes is persistence, you know, and I, I mean, people are and that's how i always was i just and i was always true to my word i just if i told a landowner i'd do something for him i would yeah and i never started leasing land until i started losing ground to hunt then i'm like man i gotta i gotta start figuring out how to do this and that's how i started outfitting i was using the outfitting money to just get farms leased up so i'd have places to hunt that's really and i don't outfit anymore but that's what i was doing just using it as a it's a way to pay for it. Cause I couldn't with my job, just throw that kind of money at hunting leases, you know? So I just pivoted and figured out a way to do it. And you just got to be, I don't know what you, what's the word I'm looking for. You just got to be, have a broad way of making things happen, being initiative, you know, cast a big net. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we always kind of have the motto, like leave no stone unturned. And a lot of times, like we found some of the biggest deer and some of the most overlooked places that like you never would have thought, I think these deer are really, really good at finding where they've never experienced pressure. And a lot of times, like we, we've had to adapt over the years uh, just because like hunting pressure has increased. And sometimes like the biggest blocks of woods that on a map look the most appealing are some of the worst places because, you know, there's hunters in there and that place is getting beat to death. And those deer push out of there and they'll find a little nook and cranny that they've never, ever get messed with. And, they'll set up shop there in the summertime or, you know, kind of make that their little home base. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, to y'all's point, like with Dylan not being afraid to know, like that is, that alone is what I think so many people are afraid of when it comes to door knocking is like getting told no. You know, what was, you know, what worked out best for me was being fat in junior high. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. Girls telling me no. (laughs) <laughs> okay yeah i was like please elaborate because i'm not following <laughs> i'm callous <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i've had you know grown men who have been like so you know sort of business mentors to me in a way like you know 50 years and older and they are terrified to go knock on a door but they've been involved in all this stuff all over the years million dollar deals yeah, and it's and it's like they're terrified to go knock on a door and just have a conversation with someone and see if they'd be okay with some some bow hunting. Yeah, uh, Dylan's tactic is is he tells people that the 
What what was the one you were telling people last year that the deer were? Well, the one was wounded. Yeah, the but one. I didn't lie. I don't know if it was like life threatening to the deer, but you know. <laughs> he but a, he had a limp. He had a big club foot. <laughs> I think he was good, but you know, we need to take this deer out. Yeah, he's spreading diseases. <sighs> a lot of deer in Atlanta. I mean, I would I would say most bucks that we have killed over the years, I think, have been hit by a car at some point. They've just got big knots or scarring on their leg somewhere. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I like when I'm door knocking, I'm absolutely using that as a, as a, as a pitch is like how often they're getting hit by cars. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'll talk about the benefits of like, you know, the situation of, I'm always trying to paint a picture. I'm yeah. probably giving away too many stuff I shouldn't be right now, but it's like, yeah, give me a paper and pen. <laughs> I, I, well, it's, it's not rocket science, but it's like, I like to paint a picture. It's like picture a, a deer got hit by a car. It's a gruesome death. They nine times, well, 99 times out of 100, the deer rots and goes to waste and they caused the car collision. It's like someone was in danger from that incident. It's like I paint option A. Option B, you have an ethical hunter that comes in and utilizes every bit of that meat. And whether it's like we have a nonprofit, we donate deer meat through and we feed people in Atlanta. Or if you're just feeding your own family or friends around you, whatever, it's like, you paint those two pictures and you also explain the benefits of like in some of these areas, they're extremely overpopulated. And it's like, you're, you're painting a picture of, okay, the deer is put down clean, quick, goes to a good cause. And the remaining deer are healthier because there's less competition for food. And so I'm, I'm always trying to paint a picture when I'm talking to someone. And a lot of times, like you go down several different roads, depending on like how their responses are. And, you know, when I'm door knocking, like I'm pretty open minded, like I've got a pitch that I typically stick to to kind of get the wheels turning. But after I've done my pitch, I try to let them talk as much as possible so I can kind of figure out like what road to go down. Yeah, that's how I do it when I'm buying timber. Yeah. When I'm working with a landowner, a lot of times landowner tell me more than if I just let them talk. They end up telling me everything I need to know. You know, to, to that I know, like, okay, that's his goals. This is how I need to to work this sale. You know, to get him to want to choose my company to buy to buy his timber. You know, yeah. A lot of it is confidence too. Like, if you don't have the confidence in what you're saying, like, if you're visibly nervous, people like you will give them an uneasy feeling, and I think that only comes from repetitiveness of being told no and being comfortable doing it it's like no one no one has ever jumped into this and immediately clicked and got it and it's just you know easy 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 i mean that just doesn't happen it's you it takes time to get comfortable with that the door knock and the nose and uh i mean to this day like if i'm not kind of constantly doing it and i'm i hadn't done it in a couple weeks i go to door knock like i'll botch the ask several times, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's not like, you know, I still get nervous and get the butterflies yeah. and, and goof up, but, uh, do you, so not to interrupt you, but a question I have is, do you already know, like, okay, I know there's an animal in this vicinity right here that I want to hunt before you knock, or are you just like going off a hunch and you think this should be a good spot and I'll fish? and see if I can find one. It's both. It's both. Um, like, uh, 
right now in particular in Atlanta, like I'm looking for a specific deer. He was on a, a place of mine until about April and then he left. And I'm, I'm specifically looking for him. I have enough history with him to sort of know like which general direction he went. So like, I'm looking for that specific deer in those areas. But, uh, you know, for example, uh, in Kentucky last year, like I was just getting spots in, in Ohio, I was just getting spots and I didn't have any like particular deer I was targeting. It was just like the right ingredients that I'm looking for. This fits that. And it had, you know, the recipe for ha having a big deer around and it did. Um, so it's kind of a combination of the two. Like we do get, as our networks expand, like we do get leads all the time from people being like, Hey, I saw this monster buck over off of this road or whatever. But the problem with that is more often times than not, people are just really excited about what they saw. And, and it's so, a lot bigger like, than we, yeah, we've chased leads down thinking it's like some giant buck. And then it's like a, you know, 150 or yeah. I mean, not saying that's small, but not with 120. I mean, oh, you know, gotcha. which 120 is still a big deer, but yeah. When someone's like, you know, you're thinking it's like a 180 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah we've I've had the same thing. See, and that was one of the questions. I think some guy was wanting to know if you guys got some hints or yeah. or leads on deer to kind of help put you in directions, which I think we've all got that at times. You know, truthfully, like somebody tell you about something, and you know, I do know one thing. Like if I'm sitting in a place or a cafe, whether it's Illinois, Ohio, Missouri, or whatever, and if somebody's talking about big deer, they don't want to say it too loud around me because I'll be looking for it. So is yeah. there like a number you always subtract by? Like, do you always subtract by 50 or? <laughs> I don't know, man. I've, I have honestly wasted, like, I would be, I would throw up if I knew the exact amount of hours, but I have wasted so much time tracking down leads that just like were ended up being a total waste of time. So like, you know, unless I know for sure, like it's a legit lead uh i won't you know pursue it and like I, I mean i'll be the first to admit like it's a it's a huge advantage like with again with like with the network of people we've gotten and people sending us dms and stuff like we pay attention to that stuff uh when we can but like you know that that is a huge advantage is you're getting fed information but a lot of times it's dead in roads yeah. uh, and then you know it, it's outdated information or, or this, that, and the other. But, uh, so it's, I don't know, I guess I would basically say like, it's a combination of, we do get leads now just, and it's not like we're inquiring. Yeah. It's just like someone will send us and it's like, I'm not going to not pay attention to that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the same thing. If I was sitting like to your point in a cafe and a conversation when someone comes up about, Hey, I saw like a huge deer off of such and such road. I'm going to get my map out. And yeah. I'm going to come in and I'm going to go try and do some door knocking in that, in that area. I can't believe your episodes aren't like three hours long. They Just, easily could be. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I've watched your episodes. I feel like they could be a little bit longer. Like I just, I don't know for me, I, that stuff to me is interesting, you know, but I guess because I knock on so many doors myself and to me, like I, it's just easy, re easy to relate with that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, we, yeah, I mean, we've tried to, I guess, have a balance of like keeping an episode entertaining uh, and sort of like 
trying to get the meat and potatoes of it because if we actually showed like all the behind the scenes of what like all the door knocking and scouting that really went into you know that moment it it would be you know hours and hours and hours mm-hmm. of footage yeah uh, but you know I, we're trying to change things up a bit like i'm i'm going to do an episode here in the next uh couple weeks where i'm just filming a door knocking trip uh and it sort of shows more of that behind the scenes uh just so people can get a a a deeper dive look into like you know what we actually do that doesn't necessarily make it into an episode sometimes you'll probably get more views on that than anything i've had some of the funniest door knocking exchanges with people and i'm like i would have died to have this conversation recorded dude i've got (laughs) i've got this one and i'll keep it short but me and my buddy knocked on this guy's door and this but this was like a rule piece but yeah. it put it into some amazing, amazing stuff. And um, so, like, we go up and knock on this guy's door, and he has literally, I mean, at this place, it's a, it's a dump, like, bad. It's really bad. But he's got hand-drawn signs on his door with guns and stuff. <laughs> and uh, it says, like, no trespassing. I think he only had, like, one S in the trespassing. And, like, it was just misspelled. It was, like, scary. But yeah. anyway, he, like... He opens the door and he goes, what? And he's like looking through the blinds like this. And I'm like trying to, he's like deaf. And I'm like yelling and he's got the door shut. (laughs) So finally he opens up the door and uh, just this big, really. uh, Anyway, so we're sitting there talking to him, me and my buddy. And uh, it's, it's already a no, but we're, you know, I'm just trying to be polite and keep talking to the guy. And all of a sudden the spider crawls up out of his head and like repels it's hanging off these like couple hairs that he has (laughs) and the spider repels down and is like hanging in front of this guy's face and we're like trying to talk to him i'm trying to i'm looking at my buddy he's he's like trying to keep it together dude it was the funniest thing like i didn't care he didn't know i guess like oh my gosh and i'm like i look over and my buddy's like like trying not to laugh and it just made it like a hundred times funnier. I had to turn around. <laughs> I was like on the verge of peeing myself. Dude, it was the funniest thing ever. Then you find out four days later, old some guy dies bitten by a spider. <laughs> yeah, it, it ended up actually repelling back up and oh man. Oh my god. It was nuts. Dude, that's wild. And I mean, I like I don't know. It's just like it was uncomfortable for me to be like, dude, you got a spider living in your hair. Yeah. Have you I ever see. run into any serious anti like people that just like literally oh, ride yeah. you? Yeah, all the time. But also, like, I, I think it's also a good opportunity for like for an education point as mm-hmm. well. Like a lot of people that I get permission from are originally anti hunting. And then it's I, th- I think that they have a a certain picture in their head of what a hunter is. Like they've yeah. never actually had a conversation with one. Bambi. Yeah. And so when they, when they actually meet someone and like you're respectful and they understand like what you're doing, they, you know, are not as, it's not as scary of a thing to them. And so like, I, you know, I got permission from a lady one time and she was like, I can't believe I'm, I'm letting you hunt here. She's like, my son is going to like, never believe it. She's like, I mean, I'm like a huge animal advocate. She's like, I literally just got my save the whales calendar in the mail today. And, and she's like, but I, I appreciate what you're doing. Like, I see the benefits of it. it uh, so I just, yeah, I just think that like, 
you know, people, I think non-hunters have a, just a different picture that they've built in their head of what. A lot of people don't grow up like we did. You know, they don't grow up knowing about wildlife or like harvesting animals or like what, you know, and that's, I think it's smart that you said that because like you have to kind of relate to how somebody maybe views things differently. And it's, it's nice when you can meet somebody like that, that maybe can also view how we grew up, you know, like, well, Lee grew up in the city and he didn't hunt. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm a city fucker. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm just, but I mean, you know, you, I guess you adapted, but what I'm saying is a lot of us grow up like this is just a way of life, you know, just like yeah. farming and, you know, having cattle or hogs and butchering and, you know, and like people like they get all mad because like cows are in pens or, you know, pigs or chickens or whatever being, you know, in these horrible life. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, yeah, I'd love to be a chicken, but, you know, I guess what they don't, they can't take the time to view that, like, look, those people that, that have those animals don't hate them. It's just that's their way of life. That's their livelihood. That's just all they've ever known is butchering, you know, raising them, butchering them. And, like, they don't look at it like those poor animals are living a horrible life or, uh, you know, eight weeks in a pen, you know, a chicken or whatever. But I don't know. It's just everybody's got to kind of view things differently and look at other people. But I just think it's weird, like. They just have no idea how much we, even though we're trying to kill the deer, how much we love the deer. Like, Dude, I say that all the time when I'm door knocking. Yeah. I, I will literally say, like, uh, I like I love deer. Like, I know that I'm here to try and, like, technically, ta- like, take one, but I genuinely, like, love deer. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of dive deeper and sort of explaining all of that. But I use that line all the time. Yep. I was going to tell you all earlier, uh, you know, with, with kind of what you were saying with like Ben, how you came up from like a rural background and I'm kind of polar into the spectrum on the urban background. It's like, I didn't choose to be born in the city. You didn't yeah. choose to be born yeah. in the rural. It's like you made the most with the cards you were dealt and where you were born. Like I've tried to make the most of the cards I was dealt here in the city. And so like, that's why I will never sit there and argue with somebody about which one's harder, like, you know, this, that, and the other, like, dude, I don't care. Like, I'm just rolling with what I had access to. Like, if I was born rural, I would have been trying to get permission and, and maximizing all the stuff on farmland and, and and doing all that job or all that jazz. But I just happened to be born in a different place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a farm. I like my family didn't have a farm. I didn't grow up in like a hunting family per se. My, my grandfather was the one who got me fishing, but it was like, kind of stumbling into it myself and realizing, you know, Hey, there's deer, you know, in between my drive from my house to school. And then all of a sudden like did some door knocking and, you know, we're kind of off to the races. So it's like, I don't really care at all about like urban versus rural. Like that literally is so irrelevant to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, you know, as we've been able to have new opportunities, like I've really enjoyed getting to hunt more rural stuff like did kansas this year did north dakota did mm-hmm. uh, big public land pennsylvania i've enjoyed like getting those new experiences uh just you know to be able to learn and and from all these different environments and things like that and yeah. what we've learned in more urban settings 100 percent translates over to uh you know tactics that that happen in more rural settings um so i didn't mean to sort of sidetrack no that's good info though because like i mean 
I've said it for years. Like I remember one time I was checking in a turkey years ago when, when when we used to be able to check them at a check station. We don't have that anymore in Ohio, but I remember checking this turkey in at this check station, and it was kind of it was by a lake, a, a very popular fishing lake, and uh, at the time, and I'd killed this turkey on some public land, and I was checking the turkey in, and they were banning it, and um, this older gentleman was there with his grand grandsons they had never been fishing and this old boy was you know he was a colored fella and super nice guy and these boys of his were probably like 10 and 12 or these grandsons and they came up and they were looking you know because we were checking this bird in and they they'd never seen anything like it like they just couldn't even fathom and they they were like touching this turkey and you know how their feathers will rainbow like in the sunlight and i mean they were just enamored with this bird you know touching his head and like you know they just couldn't get over it and they'd never seen anything like it and they were asking all these questions about it and you know and it's like i tell people all the time like i tell my kids like if we're driving through a rough part of a big city going somewhere and it's like you know you can never some people just don't have the same opportunities that we had like yeah. that my family had growing up like we didn't have land at all but you know we had neighbors that did and we did work for them but you know i just feel bad like i guess it's that part of me that just like the loving people side of things is like there's so many poor kids today that will just never have those opportunities and i thank god all the time it's like you know why did you pick me to be raised in the family i was or where i was and i thank you for it because like it could have been so different i could have been such a different person and you know i think about some of these young fellas and girls that are born into bad you know just toxic families or toxic areas and like they they probably do feel hopeless like because if they don't have anybody to kind of show them a different way out they just get sucked into it you know and i know that has nothing to do with hunting but it's in a sense of like you noticing that like hey we're all raised in different spots and what you do with it you know but some just can't find that opportunity you know and it's i think we, i think we take it for granted every day yeah I agree. Whether whether you're a gajillionaire or you're just ha healthy that day, I mean, whatever yeah. you have, like I, I think that whatever in the spectrum you are on, like it, we take we take little things and big things for granted every single day for sure. Yeah, like I when I was real sick here just a few weeks ago, like I'd never been that sick, but I kept trying to tell myself, you know, like I knew that I wasn't going to die from it, you know, but. I knew I was trying to tell myself, well, you know, I was trying to be thankful for what I was like, well, I still have my hands. I have my feet. I can walk. I can move my arms. You know, I still have my wits about me. Like, and I'm not dealing with like cancer that's killing me. You know, like some people I'm just, I was just, it really made me think about what so many people in the world might be dealing with at that exact moment. That yeah. would be so much worse than what I was feeling bad for myself laying in bed for a couple of weeks. You know, I think the movie, the movie click with adam sandler makes you think like he's have you ever seen it lee oh yeah he has the remote yeah he's like rushing through everything and then he gets towards the end and he's like and finally he gets that chance to go back and he's like doing all these little things you know that he that he mm -hmm. missed out on it's a good movie but anyway so there's a few things i want to get into lee before we get into some listener questions because i don't want to take up your whole day um and we do have some listener questions I want to get to, but what are you doing right now? Like, 
I was, I'm actually, as I'm sitting here thinking and I'm, I'm looking at you, I'm like, how in the heck did I get Lee right now with as many doors as you knock on as many States as you're hitting right now is right now, like not as busy. Cause I've got cameras out a little bit early this year, just because, you know, I was running mineral and I was like, why not have cameras on them? But I mean, are you typically not having cameras out right now? Or are you not knocking on doors? Uh, right I, like, what are you doing? I, my, uh, in-season camera work is the exact same as it is now uh my like the the amount of cameras i have out the amount of time i'm i'm putting into like getting new spots and getting cameras out in certain areas like it never changes at any point during the year uh i have had i think i've got like maybe 20 cameras out right now maybe 25 um, but it's been that way, you know, since last fall. I mean, it just, it, it doesn't change. Sorry, I just had a phone call interrupt me. That, uh, it, it, it doesn't change from any time of the year. So like I've, I've got all my cameras out right now. And I think that the more you can know about a deer at any point of his life, where he's spending his summer, his spring, his fall, his winter, all of that is going to add up to you just like getting the whole picture of what that deer does, which is going to give you the biggest advantage you can in the fall and winter to intersect that deer. And so right now, I mean, I've got all my cameras out. I'm constantly like having to pull cameras from one spot because I got a new spot and I want to go put it at this new spot. I'm trying to figure out what camera to pull down and, and put up. And, uh, I can, I can always use more trail cams, but, um, yeah, right now it's, it's, uh, I do most of my door knocking. My favorite time of year to door knock is, uh, right after deer season, like yeah. January, February, March. And I think that's because you're knowing what deer made it through the year. Uh, you can take good inventory of what's around. And if you can find a deer in those time frames, usually they're going to be pretty close in the summertime to where you find them late season, generally speaking for, from my experience anyways. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, right now I'm getting as many spots as I can put as many cameras out as I can. Uh, doesn't really change for me. Do you find and, those urban deer? Like, and like, and I know you said you're not like super experienced with hunting like bigger rural areas, but I know you have, and you, you know, you kind of know a lot about deer. So you kind of know that like some, you know, farm deer, or big country deer, you know, they have different home ranges, different times of year. What do you find with suburban bucks in like bedding areas at different times of year or food sources? Like, what are they looking for? Or like, what are you finding that these suburban deer are eating on? And like, how are they moving around this? Cause I don't know just how suburban some of this stuff is you hunt, I guess either. It, it changes a lot. I mean, uh, like some of the stuff is not suburban at all. I mean, I, suburban is kind of up for interpretation. Like, okay. You know, is is a 300 acre farm 15 minutes from or 10 minutes from nashville like gotcha is okay suburban? is it not like but then there's some stuff that's way more on the the suburban end of the spectrum so we're, we're kind of we're kind of there's a big range that we kind of deal with there but um like right now in atlanta and a lot of cities um kudzu is like kudzu is king in the summertime mm -hmm. I don't know if y'all have that up by you no, guys. We don't. 
You know what it is? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. Hey. My brother lives. My, my brother actually lives in commerce. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a, he's a preacher. He's a minister at a at Black's Creek Baptist church down there. And then he works at a funeral home too. I gotcha. So, so yeah, down here, like kudzu is, is all I'm looking for in the summertime. Like when I'm driving roads, I'm, I'm like dropping pins and marking kudzu because that is like the vast, vast, vast majority of their summertime forage right now. So it's probably like soybeans here. Exactly like soybeans. Hmm. Um, so like that, that is what I'm keying on in the summertime. And then those, as soon as those, the kudzu sort of starts to brown, which is usually late August, early September, they'll, they'll start to leave it. Um, but also like, I mean, it depends on like, you know, uh, up in <laughs> Detroit, I've been, I've been door knocking in Detroit a little bit. Probably shouldn't have said that, but, um, uh, you know, just like the more North I've gotten at some of these other places, like cuds is not a thing. So like, I've got to sort of refigure out what these deer are feeding on. Um, so it's just, but I think that's a fun challenge is like when you go to all these new places, you're sort of having to refigure out, you know, what's the secret ingredients of what they're doing at certain times of the year. Mm -hmm. and so like late season here in, in uh, Atlanta, like privet, privet's a, it's an evergreen. It's like a real thick bush and it gives them a lot of, uh, it's basically their main cover late season, uh, but they eat the crap out of it. And so like, just like I'm looking for kudzu in the summer when it's January to March, uh, I'm looking for kudzu because they're piled up into it. Um, and then obviously like, you know, your standard stuff, hardwoods and whatnot uh, in the fall, but it just, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and I'm still learning too, like a lot of different places, like in Tennessee, for example, there's a, a, a bush. I can't remember the the name of what it's called, but I just, I was just cutting shooting limbs and I noticed these deer were sitting there piling into these limbs I was cutting that were hanging on the ground. They were just crushing the leaves. I texted my buddy. I was like, Hey, what is this bush? And he was like, Oh, it's such and such. He's like, they pound it. So then I started going and looking for as much of that stuff as I could. And everywhere I did, I was finding deer activity. Hmm. So. And that's just being a student of your surroundings, basically learning what you know, I was just curious, like how far those deer moved, you know, in some of those areas. And, and again, like, I'm glad you cleared that up. Cause like, you know, like you said, sometimes you can be 10, 15 minutes out of town still, you know, houses and things, but maybe just not as, you know, rural as some areas could be, but yet not complete, like cul-de-sacs and, you know, yeah. small no, parcels. Maybe I uh, took a different road of how I was supposed to answer your question, but the deer move a lot. I mean, from summertime to uh, where they'll spend the fall sometimes is miles, five miles is easy okay. That's what I was wondering, like how hard you got to work to try to pick them up again, you know, I, sometimes. Yeah. <clears throat> I have a deer that uh, I hunted last year. Um, I had him at one place totally vanished. And I was like, which he's never done. I've got years of history with this deer. Don't know why for this reason. This year he was like, I'm going to change. He went five miles as the crow flies. And I just happened to have a spot five miles away that I was, you know, getting other deer on camera. And all of a sudden, boom, that deer shows up over there. And he spent November to March there. And then boom, went the five miles back 
to where I had him in the summer and early part of the season. And I just got him on my camera like a week ago. Huh. Sounds like a helicopter's moving him. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny though. Like, I mean, but that's interesting because it's, you know, like how, how uh, suburban or urban do you hunt at times? Like, are you hunting sometimes or like you're looking at people's backyards or swing sets or, you know, like, I'm just curious, you know, like I, I, I dig it. You know, I'm just curious how, how crazy it can get for you at times. Also, yeah, all ends of the spectrum. So, I mean, we've, we hunt places where you're not even close to a house. I've hunted places where I'm have a ground blind underneath their back deck. Yeah. That's what I wonder. Yeah. Dude, that, that post you made last year of, well, one, the blue haired guy. Yeah. And then, and then that like compilation of all your like funny trail cam photos was <laughs> awesome, dude. That was the best. I'm actually making a couple right now for my Instagram that I'm I'm gonna post. One one of them is uh this was like several years ago. I was I was in a saddle and I'm pretty close to like an abandoned house and I'm just sitting there hunting. I start hearing this clanking. I'm like, what is that? So I turn around. And this little wiener dog had like run away from its owner and was just like, just like <laughs> trotting around with this leash, just like having a good old time wandering around. And so <laughs> I was, I was going to make a, a, a post that was like, you guys want to see my most epic hunting moment? Like here it is. And then it's just going to cut to like the wiener dog. Just like, trotting <laughs> I got, a, I got a couple of things like that, that I'm going to make that hopefully. I mean, this podcast could last forever. I've just uh, got, I've got so many questions, but I really, I do, I do want to get into listener questions, but I do have one more question. So as we're talking about, and it just, it just sparked because what had, what Ben had asked you, but so obviously Atlanta is your, your core area, but how do you, as far as like how far those deer are traveling, do you see that in all the States? Is it like pretty pretty similar is the urban bow hunting pretty similar in all the urban areas or yeah i mean these deer are deer uh you know it doesn't matter if they're um in a more rural setting or urban setting they still have the same instincts where they want to move and they want to leave so i think a, a common myth is like if you have a five acre spot and there's a buck in there he just lives there that's his five acres and he never leaves he's trapped in there like that is not I have never, ever, ever, ever in my life seen that to be the case where a mature buck is just like living in five acres and doesn't go a long way is traveling at some point, whether it's food related or he's looking for does. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions with urban hunting is that like these deer are just like hold up in like a little two acre block. And yeah. that's like the only place that they can be in. They, they like, crossing roads and highways for them is is nothing yeah so you, you and i talked about this too um bef before the podcast and we didn't like get into it and i'm glad we didn't because i wanted to save it for the podcast but as far as like so now let's say you got permission in a state or in a, in the city and it varies from city to city the hoops now that you have to jump through through police departments how much different is that in different cities for you i mean one just hunting regulations alone from state to state are so much different and then now not only do you have to follow the state regulations but now you got to follow the city ordinances how much does do you see like a change in that because i'm just now starting to really dabble in it and yeah. so 
I've only hunted one city, but now I've called a different city. I actually called a city in Kentucky and they have like no ordinance whatsoever about it. They said, use your best judgment, basically. I'm like, really? But then this other police department that I hunted, you know, archery proficiency tests, uh, background check. Um, it's got to be a certain amount of acreage. It's earn a buck, like a bunch of different stuff. So, I mean, what do you see in there? Yeah, that that is one of the uh, many, many hula hoops for getting into like the suburban hunting game is every place is different and you really have to study like all the city city maps of like you know 10 feet across a property line no hunting for miles and then it's like right there on this little property it's in a different township totally legal to hunt so there there's like so many different little hula hoops you got to jump through like we're constantly calling uh townships or or local uh police stations trying to figure out like what are the laws what are the rules what are the city ordinances and um yeah i mean it's totally different for every single place you go i would say the like southeast like atlanta birmingham nashville a lot of like southeast states don't really have many ordinances but what i've learned is the more north we go like Ohio, Michigan, Kentucky, like all these different states have all kinds of different ordinances. And yeah, I mean, I've, I had to do the proficiency test too, where it's like, I was hunting in Ohio and it's like, that's like 10 hours for me. It's like, I drove up to a scouting trip and I was able to do my proficiency test on that same trip. And, uh, you know, it's just, one of the many hula hoops that you got to kind of jump through but i mean some of those more wealthy areas up in ohio they definitely put you through the ringer to hunt you know and it's it's a good thing uh but it's also a bad thing it's a bad thing in that like some places there's nothing you can do they're just off limits to hunting it's a good thing though because it provides huge sanctuaries with no hunting pressure for deer so if you can get on the edges of those places it weeds a lot of people out for sure. A lot of yeah. people aren't going to go through what you have to go through to get there. And I think that's just another, you know, how how you can get some age class in, in a city and what makes some cities so freaking good. I mean, there is one city in Ohio and maybe we'll talk about it after the podcast because I'm still want to kind of try to dabble in there. But, dude, it is like it's insane. Like Fort Knox to get dude, in. It. it is hard. It is hard. And yeah. I- yeah. So, I mean, just gaining permission, like even though you got permission on a spot, it doesn't really even mean anything. Like right. it still has to be approved. Yeah. I, I've got a buddy of mine that um, I've gotten to know in Ohio and he was, he's like a big woods guy. And I stayed with him when I was in town a few different times and he kind of saw how I go about the urban stuff, the permission, like all the stuff, the scouting and whatnot. And he's like, dude, what I have learned is that like, whether you are putting in that amount of energy and effort into big woods, like, or you're doing it how you're doing it in a suburban setting, he's like, they're, they're both extreme challenges. And his, his point was not to argue which one's a bigger challenge. His point was they're just different forms of energy. One guy's energy is spent boots on the ground, hiking around, like digging deep into public, finding these places where these bucks are at. And then the other form of energy is like going through all of these hula hoops, doing all the door knocking, getting all the spots, all the scouting, all that stuff. It's it's just different forms of energy was his point, but it's still the same amount of work that you got to put in to be successful in, in you know, different yeah. scenarios. 
For sure. Yep. So let's get into a couple of listener questions, Lee, and uh, we'll try to just keep it, sh- keep it like almost short answers. Okay. Almost maybe like a rapid fire, I guess. I tend to be long winded. So I apologize. No, it's, it's okay. I just I'm the same way. I just don't want to take up. Yeah. We don't want to take time. up your time. No, you're good. Uh, Mike Schultz says how to pick an area when planning an out of state hunt. Uh, I would say if you're strictly talking suburban, um, kind of what we talked about, like I'm trying to find the areas you can't hunt because those are always going to hold big deer. They're just sanctuaries. Every big deer has to have a sanctuary somewhere. So I'm trying to find sanctuary areas. So I'm, I'm trying to find, instead of places to find where you can hunt, I'm at first trying to find the places you can't. And then I'm trying to find after that, the places you can hunt and just get on the edges of, of those, you know, obviously big sanctuary areas. Yep. I can say the same there. Uh, how can you make Kyle Johnson says, how can you make sure you were at least hunting a giant every year instead of wasting your time hunting where there isn't one? <laughs> uh, if a big deer doesn't exist in your area, then you're not hunting a big deer. So that's where we are extremely mobile. Um and going out and trying to find a particular deer. So, you know, if we get a couple spots and like we think they're good, but they just end up not being that great, don't really show anything up. Like we're constantly next place, next place, next place until you stumble upon something that, you know, gets you excited. Yeah. Don't, don't, like don't pigeonhole yourself into one spot because you think it's a good spot. Like keep, keep it going, keep going, keep finding that. I agree. Like ca- casting that big net, man. Uh, I did it this year and it was, you know, I've always hunted like bigger rule pieces and I'd put all my eggs in this one, you know, 200 acre piece. But I found this year of all the small pieces I've had, I had more big deer on camera than ever before. And I was like, man, <laughs> just yeah, crazy. That big casting that big net. Anyway, Brent says, what's the biggest buck he's had flown in by helicopter? Just kidding. <laughs> all of them yeah sj (laughs) spire says how did you build up the confidence to door knock in urban areas across the united states uh it I, i started doing it when i was i think 15 um and just you know i didn't i didn't have any other options it was either you door knock or you don't hunt and so you know we were again just kind of dealing with the cards we were dealt but when you start doing it at, at 16 and you kind of get the rhythm of it, like you get confident in it. And then all of a sudden, like you feel like you can door knock anywhere. You feel like you can talk to anybody and get hunting permission. So it's just years and years and years of doing it. It just sort of translates over into other states. And again, you know, that's your environment. You grew up in that environment. So you felt comfortable there to where like yeah. a guy like me would feel a lot less comfortable in that situation with a lot of different landowners and houses. And like, Mm -hmm. I would, I know how to pull in and talk to a farmer because I know all about his tractor or his piece of equipment, or I know all that stuff and I can drum conversations and not always be talking about my one goal at first, you know, where you can do the same, you know? Yeah. And that's, I think that's important. How about them Braves? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So this kind of answers this guy's question. He said how to up the chances on getting hunting permission. So I would say, you know, just knocking on a lot of doors and uh, practice. Numbers game. Practice, yeah. Numbers. Um, 
blame it on the butler says best piece of advice for someone hunting suburban areas for the first time this year. Hmm. You can go a lot of different ways with that. Uh, I would say just, it kind of goes back to the same thing. Like if it's your first year and you get one spot, that that's awesome, dude. Like try to maximize that spot, but don't get satisfied with just having one spot, like get more. Um, let's see, skip a couple of these. What do you like more, turkey or deer? Deer. Bass or deer? Deer. Okay. Bass, bass is my first love, so it's always got a special place in my heart, but deer. Um, let's see. Does he get info from outside sources of some of the big deer from the other states? You already said you did sometimes. Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we would be lying if we told you guys, like, no, we don't. We don't get leads. We just like get new spots, which we do blindly get spots that we think are good. Like that's always the deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we get leads all the time, but it's just a matter of whether they're aware. I have, of a, per I have a personal question I meant to ask you. Do you ever call people? Yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. Yeah. yeah. I called a guy, I was calling guys in New York because I did a podcast with a buddy of mine recently. And he was like, dude, he's headed to a fishing tournament. He's like, I saw this huge buck twice in August last year. And I was like, uh, where? And so I mean, like you like you'll like blindly call people. Oh yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um Chayton Witten says, What's some simple things to do to a property to get big deer to hold on it? Um that is a very broad answer because I it depends on how much acreage you got. I mean, if you got a big farm. I'm not the guy to ask. Uh, but as far as like, if you have a small acreage, um, you know, like I've got a, I've got a little piece in Tennessee and it's just a good funnel area. And I do like a micro food plot in there every year. And I put a big old mock scrape in the middle of it. And I've been doing that for so many years that it's become a place now that these bucks every single year will come check and they'll come check it. And it's just, they're in that habit now of there's a food plot, there's a big scrape, there's does around. I'm going to go check it. So I'm always trying to maximize my area as best I can, whether it's, you know, minerals in the off season, uh, food plot, feeder, depending on what state, things like that. But, you know, if it's, if it's a big farm and you're doing like big time food plots, I'm not your guy. Yeah. That ain't me. I, I know a guy. <laughs> I, I'm <Yeah>. guessing, <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing, um, Lee, like a lot of some of these urban areas, that, you know, that say like you're allowed to, to bait like i would almost have to think you'd have to 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 maybe pull some of those deer to say your small piece yeah uh, you know i mean you, you got to use about every tool you could couldn't you to to, to yeah deer so, to five acres yeah depending on what state i mean obviously certain states you can and can't bait but un unfortunately uh sometimes there's 15 dudes hunting the same deer in georgia or atlanta and yeah. it's like you have to have feed out Oh, yeah. Because it's become battle of the corn piles. Well, that's how it is here, even in the country anymore in Ohio. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I've I've had feeders out in some spots for like six, seven years, and I'm just like trying my best to have a deer get conditioned and accustomed to like feeding in this area. So when everybody else isn't feeding anymore in the winter and spring and summer, like I'm, I'm still getting those deer coming, still getting those where hopefully they'll favor my area 
mm-hmm. uh, just because they're in the rhythm of it, as opposed to you know now all these other dudes are throwing corn out kind of thing. Does it make you sick to look at your feed bill at the end of the year? Yes, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. I bet when I was outfitting, oh my gosh, like yeah. make you want to puke. Um, the bow hunter dude says, what do you look for going out of state on a hunt from maps? Where do you start? Uh, it goes back to like the non-hunting stuff. Yeah. Where you can and cannot hunt. Yeah. Um, Austin Spalding says, tell Lee, I dropped him a pen and his DMS on 180 inch deer core area, two hours from your house. See, I'll go find it. (laughs) <laughs> I, am mes- I am messaging austin right now hey austin. <laughs> lee told me to reach out to you <laughs> uh let's see that might be are you coming to ohio again this year lee i've got i don't want to say too much but i've got a deer in ohio that um last year he was probably 230 oh wow dang so I you, don't have much time yet, but that's what my campaign in July is going to be about. You had another one that you hunted that was well over 200 last year, right? Or was it the year before? Or? There was uh, there was a deer <laughs> in Ohio that I elected to not hunt uh, because there was too much drama surrounding this deer. There was too many people on it. I'd have been the spot I had was next to two guys that we'd literally i would have literally been in my tree and been looking at two other dudes in their tree and i was just like that's not yeah. the experience I'm looking for i don't want to deal with that and i just i mean it was a 240 inch deer and i was just like that that ain't me yeah uh, ain't worth it the drama that would come after no, no it's not it's not um this is actually i want to know how you do it and how you do it lee um so Lee, you first best way to keep your trail camera data, like your your photos and how you're keeping track of everything, running so many cameras. So for me, this this is like I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but when it comes to trail camera pictures, I literally keep it all in my head. Like I've got them scattered throughout my phone and my computer. But I can I can pull up any picture just like that, of know exactly where it is and what deer it is and what area. And it the only way that I can kind of describe it is like if you've you ever heard a song that you haven't that you used to know every word to like 15 years ago and you hear it 15 years later and you still know every word of that song. I want it that way. See, yeah, yeah same one for me. I can recite the whole thing. But, <laughs> uh that's kind of how trail camera pictures work in my head is like, I just store them in a different place in my brain. I, honestly, I don't know, but it's just like, I, they just stick. And I, I, I can remember almost every, every picture of every deer that I've ever had. What about you? It's just, uh, um, I mean, I'm very good at like recognizing deer from year to year, like just rack characteristics or face features. Like, I don't know, like you can look at a deer and it's like, I know that deer, you know, but, I've got to the point now that I actually have a smartphone that I create albums on my phone now. Cause like we have different farms or different, you know, I'll just create an album. And when, as I'm going through my Spartan app, that's a picture I want to save. I just save it and I put it in that album and then it, I can, cause I need it for the content. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to have that picture for the content for you to build the story when we're editing. Um, and like, you know, deer that I may have hunt. I don't ever post pictures of my deer on <clears throat> social media till they're dead. 
I don't trust trail pictures of them, nothing. Once they're dead, I will. Um, I'm just really big about that. Um, I've just had it bite me in the butt and I don't want to do that anymore, you know? So like, but that I'll create albums in my phone. Like it might say Missouri farm or, you know, Illinois One Twenty or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I'll put those particular deer. And sometimes I'll even save the young deer because I want to maybe build that, you know, just to build a cool story. If I end up killing that deer three years later and he's big, you know? Yep. All right, Lee, last question for you um joey sexton says what buck made you the most nervous and gave you the most heartbreak is that two different questions or or just the deer did if you need to do it and do two different questions let's do that if you can't put those together i think i know yours you had that that giant that you couldn't catch up with well you talked about him already right misery Yeah, yeah misery that's my heartbreak yeah I'd say the deer that made me the most most nervous was the deer we called Charlie. It was like the first first deer that we ever like did a story on. Uh, and I think the reason was like I had you you couldn't give any more effort, energy, time. Like you just couldn't give any more to a deer than I gave to this one. And it was four years. And so like when I actually saw the deer coming and I'm I was in the tree, probably that one was where I was a wreck. I mean, I'd start crying like a little girl afterwards and all that stuff but that's probably the most nervous one probably the biggest heartbreaker one was um the biggest year i ever hunted was probably 220 uh or more and that deer ended up uh getting poached like like he, he was on my food plot like the day before the season opened and so i was like totally in the game to have a chance at this deer and uh it was a once in a lifetime deer and uh he ended up getting poached like a few hundred yards away uh from where i was hunting at and the guy never even found the deer it was found like a year later oh so that one that one that one still hurts to this day but yeah what's your highest scoring deer lee uh two score 207 and some change is that the one right behind you with the it's it's this one. He's got, okay. this, he's got 24 points. That gotcha. one was, he was 203, but he's okay. more. How many 200s you have? I've got two. I've hunted three. I just told you all about the third one. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully Possibly this year. could be hunting one this year. Yeah. Hopefully this year. Yeah. And they're so hard to come by. I haven't had a 200 in years. I mean. They really are. I mean, it's, it, the, the stars have to align. I haven't even had a 180 in Ohio in years, believe it or not. And the, the areas that I hunt now, the the rural areas, like the the deer just getting the age class is getting so annihilated that I just how I big was the scissors deer? What's that? How big was the scissors deer? He was 180, 179, 180, right there. That was last year. I was right? Illinois. That was last year, right? Yeah, a year before. Year before. Yeah, I only killed two last year. Bottom bill, which he was 180. And then I killed uh tall boy. He was 160. Scissors yeah. videos, the the straight on like close that's scissors. Yeah. yeah. That was crazy. Yeah, that's that's probably the best, some of the most epic footage we've ever laid down as far as a really big deer getting close and how it all worked out. It was it was a cool hunt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That one was good. 
So any, are there any new states that you haven't hunted that you're hunting this year? Um, we're looking at Maryland. Um, we're looking at, we did a, a door knocking trip in Oklahoma, uh, like several years ago, but haven't hunted there yet. So I think we're eyeballing Maryland and Oklahoma. Um, I've got unfinished business in Michigan. Uh, there's a deer up there that we could do an entire podcast on because it's one of those deer that's like, I, do you hunt them? Do you not? There's, it, it'd be a dramatic situation. Uh, but the deer's, he got injured and went downhill last year, but the year before, I mean, he was pushing like world record, typical archery status. Wow. Wow. But there's some amazing deer in Michigan. Candy. Michigan. I mean, yes. yes, for sure. Well, when you kill them, let's run it back. Let's, let's podcast about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm down. I'm but, down. How uh, big was the deer that you killed? Uh, he was 178. Gross. And that was your, your first. First urban deer. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he had 25 scoreable, which helped a lot. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. He was gnarly. I mean, he just had some of the, like, the characteristics that I've never seen on a deer. He just had some really cool abnormals. Yeah. But yeah. The, the, the inside little small, like kind of line it up his, point. Yeah, his, his bases were just like covered. It was, yeah. it, it was cool. And it was just such the experience. Like I said, it was my, it was my first urban hunt and I've always hunted a roll piece and it was just so much different. And I don't know. I just love it. It's a lot of fun. Like the whole process of knocking on the doors and the hoops you got to jump through, like, it's just such a different game. And that's why I thought this conversation would be so good because, you know, me and Ben have came from a rural background. That's all Ben's ever hunted and he's dominated in it. And then we get you that's been in the urban area and you're dominating. And I just thought it would make like such awesome conversation. And it turns out that it was. Yeah. I, I want to, I mean, dude, I could, I could talk for more for hours more with yeah. you guys. I got a bunch of questions. Like I've wanted to ask you all too, but uh, we'll have you, to do it. Sometime. You can ask. Well, I mean, if, let, how, we could always just line something up again right before deer season if you're not busy. Yeah. And uh, maybe we can do another one kind of, you know, people start thinking deer right about this time of year. And, you know, maybe we get into August and you got some free time and let's let's run it back again. Or you come up here to Ohio to hunt and if it's, you know, look us up. Yeah, I that'd mean, be I, awesome. I'll but, be up there uh, in July and then I'll obviously be up there during the season. So I'm, we need to cross paths for sure at some point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, dude, thank you so much, man. Um, thank you to all the listeners that put in questions. Uh, where can everybody find you, Lee? Uh, on our Instagram and YouTube is kind of our two main platforms. Yeah. So. All right, man. Well, hey, thank you so much, Lee. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank hey, you. Hang on before you hang up, Lee. Yeah, I'm going to stop this recording. Thank you guys for listening to the Whitetail Edge podcast.